Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates, with gaps in their viewing history, recommend films to one another so they can once and for all decide the ultimate question, who has better taste? I'm Hugh Dempsey and with me as always is Sam Blakely. Hello Sam, how are you? Hello Hugh, I'm, well I've been on a journey. You've been on a journey? It's it an outer journey to say Mongolia? Or More of a cinematic journey? More of a cinematic journey with this week's film. Uh, so, uh, almost a new experience. We've done this maybe once or twice before. I didn't find time in the week to watch this film until just now. <laughs> so I just finished this film. So that's that's the journey I've just been on. So you've got a hot take on the film we're about to go through. Scorching. So we, hot. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the centre of the sun. <laughs> yeah. So, because we haven't actually announced what this week's film is, uh, I'm going to do it now. So this week, we're doing the 2014 film Boyhood, the Richard Linklater directed and written film, starring uh, a newcomer, Ella Coltrane. It's also got Patricia Arquette, it's got Ethan Hawke, and it has Richard Linklater's daughter, Lorelai Linklater, who plays uh, the titular boy's sister. Um, So yeah, it's, uh, it's a famous film for... Uh, basically how they've made it. So it's a film that's been produced over 12 years. So from when the the titular character is five years old until when he's uh, 18 and he goes off to college or university, as we call it in this country. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, they filmed, I think, a few days each year um, and did 45 days in total. Oh, it's, um, it's each year. It's just every year. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, See, this is, so this being such a hot take, I've not done any research. Normally, I like to do minimal research when I've been recommended the film. Uh, so, so, for new listeners, I'd never seen me, Sam. I'd never seen this film before. Hugh had seen it and loved it, apparently, presumably. And uh, he's telling me to please watch this. Yeah. So normally, I'd watch a film uh, maybe twice, do a bit of research, try not to do too much. This time, I've, I don't know anything. All I knew is Richard Linklater, his daughter's in it, and it goes over the span of more than a decade with the same actors. I had no idea it was every year. That's fantastic. Yep, that's how it works. So, yeah, we'll start off with a bit of the technicals of this. Usually what we do is we'll recommend the film to the other person and say why, say I liked the film, and then maybe why I think Sam will like the film, and then, you know, maybe what they might not like about it if they don't like it, because we're not always, we don't, we don't discuss it beforehand. We always like to give each other a fresh opinion. That's not like, um, you know, that's not just like podcast magic. That's yeah, genuinely I think that's our USP. I mean, maybe not entirely unique, but we're, that makes us one of only 500 instead of one of 5 million <laughs> film podcasts. We gen- I, Hugh genuinely doesn't know if I hate this film or if I quite like it or if I love it. Yeah, yeah. so which is what I always find exciting. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think we've just got to get into a few of the technicals of this first of all. Um, so as I mentioned, filmed over a period of 12 years between 2002 and 2013. Uh, they filmed it each a few days each year, um, which summed up, as I said, to 45 days. Um, it stars um, most of the same actors who appear in it. Um, no, I don't think... some As the film progresses, some characters coming in into the film and some go out, so... There's none that change, are there? The none of the actors change, I don't think, but, uh, yeah, some do definitely drop out. Yeah, but that's more to do with the story, if anything, mm. so that's great. Um, yeah, um, and it's basically a young man growing up in Texas. Yeah, uh, do you want to talk us through, maybe... We, we, this is going to be spoilerific, by the way. Yeah, give us the plot, give us the what happens... Yeah, so spoiler alert, the boy grows up. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, so it's about a young man, he's a young boy even, uh, called Mason, uh, living, like I said, in Texas with his mum, who's a single parent, him and his sister. Um, and essentially he lives with his mum and his mum and dad have broken up and it just charts kind of what happens to him at various points in his life between, like I said, five and 18. Not always the... I it I don't know like one thing I noticed was you didn't actually see his his first kiss but you see his as he gets older and he becomes a teenager you see like his you know interactions with girls and you know you see like his first girlfriend and you see like his first breakup but you don't see like in a cheesy kind of way where it's like this is uh, this is uh, Mason's first kiss. Um, There's a lot that's implied. That's... Something's happened. Uh, his mum goes yeah. through a divorce that you don't see on screen, but that, it's almost yeah. like they've, they're cutting the shoe leather there, and it's just happened, and you just see him again. Yeah, yeah, you've seen him going through school at times. He's, you know, it. I mean, it's called boyhood, but you could call it, you know, family or something. Growing like up that, or extended, yeah, growing up. Um, it's quite interesting because you see like the struggles of his mother raising. Uh, two young children as a as sometimes as a single mum sometimes as a, like you said she's married and the, the breakdown of two relationships that she has here, here's a question says, sorry this just sprung to mind would you watch if they made a sequel to this where you just follow the mum for that whole time and then you follow the dad for that whole time and then just the sister for that whole time because um, there's another 10 yeah. hours of this that could be made into film isn't there in that sense yeah because they all go off and do their own thing don't mm. they um when he gets to about 15, 16, his sister goes off to university as well. So you don't... She I mean, she's only in it once or twice after that, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. And then... Um, yeah, like, obviously... I, I mean, I'm kind of more interested in maybe what happens to, like, the mum after the children have gone because his mm. dad starts a new family in the end. Yeah, she has a bit um, of a breakdown and says, all the milestones have been done for me, next is my fucking funeral. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that might be an interesting sequel. Um, so yeah, plot-wise, it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a dramatic film. There were some times where there was clearly a possible thing that might happen, somebody might crash or whatever, and I was watching it with my partner, and we'd tense a little bit because we thought, oh, I can clearly see that they've thrown this sharp thing into the wall, and then somebody might potentially push this kid and maybe he'll fall into the sharp thing and then something dramatic will happen but it never does really does it it's more of a re- it's, it's cinema you know, what's cinema verite or whatever you know it's very realistic just a real p- depiction of a real yeah, life kind of thing yeah it's it's so realistic it's it's part of its usp basically mm. because it's this long-term project um which um, has been attempted in other various forms with like documentaries and I think there was maybe other films that I tried there to do There was the BBC this, but... series, was it what was it called Seven Years or something? I don't know. So I think there was a, I yeah, I think they started in the 60s or 70s, they would see this family every seven years they would check back in and they would do another episode. Um, ah, right. So they okay. do, and in, in psychological research it happens occasionally, there's one where uh, starting in the 70s where they did a, a test of attachment type on the children mm-hmm. to see whether they had a secure attachment with their parent or if it was more clingy or more kind of dependent uh, like dependent and um, then they would check in over the years and see if if they were a very clingy child would that mean they were quite clingy in their relationships would they struggle to form uh, bonds later in life as adults um, so research does it quite a lot as well and this film's yeah. a, a real example of that, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to 
say were the reasons I liked the film. Yeah. And what I recommend. Yeah, talk us through so, what 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 really really brought you to this film. Um, so obviously I'd kind of heard about Richard Linklater. I I hadn't seen many of his films. So Richard Linklater, the director and writer of this film, uh, he's famous for uh, films uh, like Before Sunset, Before Midnight, Before um, Before uh, Sunset. Um, they're like three romantic the films befores. starring Ethan Hawke. Yeah, they're known as the Befores. Taking him like twenty years to make all three films. Oh. Uh, he made a Scanner Darkly. Had commercial success with uh, School of Rock. Um, so he's got a very varied and eclectic oeuvre in his background. Do you know? I I think I've only ever seen School of Rock. As all the things he's made. Oh, in fact, Days and Confused. Um, I saw that, and it didn't really appeal to me. It was a kind of coming of age I film for it. It's a coming of age film, really, but but I, it wasn't my age. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't for yeah. my for my uh, my generation or our generation, I should say. Yeah. So I've only ever seen School of Rock by the same director. He did make um, Where'd You Go, Bernadette recently, and funnily enough, when I was. Um, Preparing to be a dad when we were pregnant, I looked at and I saw this list of. No, when when you when your fiance was pregnant, you. I mean, she physically had to to go through, but I put on I put on weight as well. Okay, (laughs) so I think we're basically fifty fifty on that. And um, there's five. Have you? Yeah, but she lost the weight quite dramatically, (laughs) and then I in one day I maintained it stoically. (laughs) <laughs> like a real man um, yeah and there was five it was something like a list of five novels you should read before you're a parent and funnily enough Where'd You Go Bernadette was on that list as, uh, as along with a, a book I'm also going to mention later in this episode see Hugh Ooh. as a professional you've got to keep them hooked you've got to keep them listening beyond ten minutes yeah yeah. but also you've got to not ruin the, the magic by telling the audience yeah I have not mentioned yeah. the book so that's something to look forward to maybe, I'll, maybe our audience is well read and they want to know what books I read once yeah. yeah have you thought about that anyway so no I haven't thought about what the audience think about what you read <laughs> what think about that itemise why you love this film then sorry I've, I've interrupted no it's fine um, I'll just uh, make some really hard questions later on for you in the quiz it suits me don't worry about it suits me. Me. I've just watched the film um, so You've got the, the the premise of the film is we're going to chart this boy's life. Um, already, t- you've made a film over twelve years. That's genius. <laughs> that <laughs> is unique, like, isn't it? So, so the studio. I know, like I said, it's not he's not the first person to do it, and obviously, like I said, it's, it's something that's done in documentary format quite regularly. Um, but to actually go out there and say in two thousand one, two thousand two. I'm a successful director. Give me money each year to make this indie film that I'm making about a young man. Like the production company that produced this must have been insane. <laughs> that's all I can do. And that's it. To like Richard to... Linklater is a is a not necessarily a household name now, but a well esteemed, highly regarded director. He had made Days and Confused, which for a generation was an enormous film. But in 2001, he was not as successful as he is now. It's a big gamble to take, isn't it? I think the the real gamble is that. These projects can fall apart. Um, apparently, <laughs> Lars von Trier was making a film that was a few seconds every year or something. Right, like Lars yeah, von yeah. Trier way, and he got bored and just gave up. <laughs> I wouldn't hire Lars von Trier. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not as stable perhaps as Richard Linklater. Yeah. Mm. So when you've got stuff, you know, like that. So yeah, I think I just I love the premise, but a good premise, as we all know, doesn't always make a good film mm. and it doesn't make an interesting film what really makes this film a great film and a truly a classic film for me 
is just the story's incredible. It's so it's such a simple narrative. We all know it. Boy grows up. Boy <laughs> That's the premise. But, yeah. Boy grows but up. Doing but or child grows up, but doing that well and making it believable. Um you know, I didn't grow up in Texas in the two thousands, but you know, I was alive in that time. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um you know, you know, and there's little things that happen to him that I go, yeah, I recognise that happening to me when I was a kid. We, I remember well, that. Well, it's interesting. We have such a shared cultural heritage with America. I wonder if we'd seen this film made in Iran, if there would also be these universal themes and, and things that you recognise. Well, majority of you know people either have do have family. You know, a lot of people have their parents growing up. You know, and that sort of thing. You know. Even orphans have adopted families. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Or you know, people who create familial bonds with. So it, it's a universal story of you know growing up. Yeah, and I mean, I, sh- I just should mention that both me and Hugh really raised by single mothers. And was that ever a part of your enjoyment of this film relating to um, those things? Yeah, I saw like bits in the the. Uh, Patricia Arquette's character, some of the struggles she goes through, I kind of saw some of those similarities in my own personal life, I mm. guess. You know, when but you are just a viewer to those things as a child. And uh, yeah, there's a scene in the film that I've, you know, not experienced, you know, play for play, but I get, I can understand, I can see how that can happen. Or I've seen real life examples of things like that happening. Now, this film, uh, I don't want to go out, too much yeah, into it. But, this film coming out in you 2014, know. you were 25 by then. Do you felt like, did you feel like you learned anything about that process and perhaps your mum's experience? Or did you feel like you already knew that by the time the film came out and you saw it? It's a good question uh, because the two characters are very different people. Like, obviously, in this film, his mum... I don't think they really knew what the character of the mum was until maybe a couple of years into the process. Mm. I don't think they knew what they were, who she was going to be. In terms of whether they wanted where... her to be a good mother or a bad mother, or like a... a yeah, what her... Crazy. What, she was, what she was planning on, that character was planning on doing. Mm. Because she goes from being kind of this edgy character who gets angry at her ex-husband or ex... Partner, I think it's her husband. Yeah, her ex-husband for bringing the kids to the, I think to her house, mm. and she's like, "Oh, you ruined all my plans." And it's like, did, she didn't really explain the plans. I mean, I think maybe that's the only criticism of that bit that would have. You know, the bit I'm on about right yeah. at the beginning where yeah. she they have the. He's supposed to take the kids back to her mum, but instead yeah. he takes her to. Yeah, it's it's odd that they've messed with their plans, but I mean, so again, you know, we we've both seen those kind of argument so we both understand the tension of that parent wants that that parent wants that and they kind of want to give you their own version of the story um Mm. (laughs) and and it's a it's a weird dynamic isn't it it's it's something that that's not easy to go through as a child no and you you know this kid's very these kids are very much passengers on this journey, mm. you know, when they move from one part of Texas to the other, so um, Patricia Arquette's mother can go to to university there or to night school. They're like, well, you can like. I think um, the daughter she goes, she goes. Oh, yeah. Well, mother, you can mother, you can move, <laughs> mother, you can move where you want, but I am staying here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when, it, when, like he's, uh, when his new stepdad cuts his hair, he, he he's like, well, I, I, he didn't even ask me. He cut my hair. Yeah, They're very much passive. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think, and it's that kind of 
you live you're living in these years for these characters and it's like the, the story moves on and it's just so well made because you just honestly you forget you're watching a film I, I, I remember watching it and going oh no wait that's that's Ethan Hawke. That's Patricia Arquette, just acting. <laughs> I suppose, it, um, yeah. That's that's all you needed is the familiar faces because the rest are kids. You know, they're, they're not known. Uh, you kind of needed them to bring you back to know that it's a film in that sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I just really like this film. I think it's a great film. Um, what do you think? What do you think I, think I might it, like about it? Um, I think you would maybe kind of see that whole side of the you know the single mother raising children you might you might enjoy not enjoy but uh recognize that aspect of it and see you know parallels maybe with yourself um i think you'd enjoy the the unique way of the making the film because how often do you watch a film where they cast young actors in a scene and then the next scene it's a different actor and they look completely different because <laughs> um, somebody who watched... was a better actor than the original or the other original you yeah. know didn't want to carry oh, they tried to show the they try to show the passage of time. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then or they'll even little things, and it's it's always you know when a film's set in a different time period, it's all the little things where you're like, oh well, oh they've got that wrong because that wasn't invented until the year after, <laughs> and then with this they actually filmed it then. <laughs> yeah, everything's specific to 2004, mm. 2005, 2011. Everything that's in it was there at the time. And so I kind of love just the nerd in me just loves that continuity. Yeah, you're somebody so who I would kind of, kick up a stink if a if a film yeah had something from the wrong decade in its background. I think yeah, I don't I don't think you'd like that. But yeah, well, my new thing is whenever you watch a film, so like you know when you watch a sci-fi film or an action film, and it's got one of these like kind of like I don't know. I always think of like you know like Marvel and it's like Shield. Mm. You know they've they've got all the tech and they've got all these like futuristic technology. But then when they do a film set in the 90s or in the 80s all the like the tech is very specific to the period yeah, and it's the sort of <laughs> thing you of... get at any pc world in the 90s rather than the high tech <laughs> the highest carnival yeah. things yeah yeah and then when they look back so like in captain america the winter soldier when they go into the bunker um at i can't remember the the army in the army base mm. and uh, zola's on the computer yeah. it's all 70s looking <laughs> computers where in like say the avengers in 2012 all the computers are like you know touchless displays that they can all yeah. press and yeah that so like with this you get that kind of sort of satisfaction that you know that it's everything specific now it's not part of the film it's not a key element but you really do feel like it's it's so naturalistic As, uh, um, well and on, on the subject of continuity and, and those kind of things i think it was harrison ford t- said to mark hamill on star wars set if they're if they're focusing on your hair then we fucked up <laughs> you know if you're noticing those things it means the film isn't doing its job uh, and yeah. so luckily the film doesn't have to contend with that because it actually was filmed in that period so it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah and nobody looks out of place which is always great yeah you know and like I think at one point one of the characters genuinely um, so her second husband mm-hmm. or her, no sorry her sec, not her second husband her sec, a third relationship the army I think veteran. she's only got two divorces so I think she didn't marry Ethan Hawke I think. Yeah, that's what I thought. I think she married originally. the t- the lecturer and then the uh, yeah the army guy. Yeah, so the the army guy, um, he visibly lose weight loses weight in that film. Like I noticed, I thought so, he gained weight. No, no, he actually loses. So he has a bit of timber when you first meet him, 
and then really? he loses. He seems it, to, well, yeah. he seemed more jowly. I thought he'd gained weight. Like he, he, this is his life after the army. He's I th- he's drinking beers. Go on. Well, I thought he was a little overweight. Then he lost a bit of weight, and then he put on a bit of weight in right. the next. So in like you know when he's on the porch scene. But anyway, just look. That's little things like that. Yeah. So that's I think you I think you like it for the same reasons I like it. You like you like bold um, cinema that takes risks and presents you with something truly unique. I think you'll like that it's an indie film based around characters and and family and relationships and the the ne- trying to negotiate childhood. Um, I think you'll like the performances in it genuinely by some of the adults and by some of the children. Um, I think maybe the weakest part of this, if I was to, to say maybe why you wouldn't like it, there is no dramatic tension other than a couple of scenes. So, and I don't know if they felt forced or if they were natural, but you might not have enjoyed those bits. But they, they, there's got to be some drama in a film, <laughs> in a, you know. Otherwise, you're just filming loads of boring stuff. So, <laughs> what was it? Alfred, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock once said that uh, drama is real life. Well, film and all is the all boring parts taken. Off. Fi- film is yeah, yeah. Film is yeah. Real life with all the boring parts. Yeah. So, film yeah. is all is real life with all the boring parts taken out. Yeah. Mm. Um, what I don't think you'd like about this film, it might not have got. It might not. Have, you might not have gripped you. That's the only thing I can think. Maybe, but I'm, I'm quite confident with this one. I mean, it's a three-hour film, basically two hour forty-five. Yeah, it might. I think maybe it's a bit bloated. They could have maybe shaved a few scenes off, maybe. Um, <clears throat> but that's indie cinema. You know, they always a lot of scenes are in there just for characters' sake. And development sake, and just what's the character doing now? Oh well, he's gone camping with his dad. Oh, what's the character doing now? Oh, he's hanging out with his friends in a, you know, in a house that's being uh, under construction. Do you know that kind mm. of way? So, yeah. Anyway, Sam, I think we're gonna have a wee break. Let's find out. I think, <laughs> let's find out what you think after the break. All right. Welcome back to Please Watch This. So, we're now going to find out what Sam thought of Boyhood. Okay, so, as we always do, I won't give my overall uh, review. I'll just say what I liked and then what I didn't like. And then I'll give an overall review after that, because, you know, we don't want to spoil anything. Um, So, a few years ago, all the banks and all the building societies realised people liked watching adverts of families growing older so that the kids became parents themselves. Do you remember this fad for like a year? Every single advert for a bank was a family where there were some children who then sent their children off to university. What? Yeah, what, what, when we speak, Like literally in the last year? couple of years. I don't... I suppose we don't... Specifically... Do you watch TV it? now with adverts? I try to avoid Yeah, them, see, my, my TV aerial is the opposite side of the living room now to the TV, so I don't really watch adverts, but people who listen to this, if you watch adverts, you'll realise that all banks and building societies, and basically the more evil a corporation, the more it will try and tug at your heartstrings <laughs> heart is sentimentality. And um, do you know what? The reason why they do that is because it really works. <laughs> Hang on. Does that mean that Mickey Mouse, Disney, is the most evil corporation in the world? <laughs> well, nobody, nobody would ever say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it works. Right, so when this film got 
start to get a bit slower after the two hour mark because this film is nearly two hours long I didn't care <laughs> I w- could have watched this for ten hours um, because it is the, the timeline of a family um, so I um, for Christmas was given a book called Into the Woods which is brilliant brilliant uh, book about um, screenwriting and writing generally by John York and what he realised was that in a lot of the books that talk about how to write very few of them talk about the why so you could read a book like Save the Cat which literally tells you the page number on which you need to have certain things happen whether that's the inciting incident or Dark Knight of the Soul or whatever and what John York just like kind of explored in this book Into the Woods is the why of these things why do these things why are these things the rules if there are rules to storytelling why and we're told that each act each film should have a kind of beginning middle and end each act should have a beginning middle and end each scene should have a beginning middle and end with inciting incidents conflict tension drama and resolution and um, this film does not follow those rules at all but it's because it understands the why we care about those things so it understands why we care about the act structure act structure and we tell stories for various reasons whether that's survival you know the story of i went out and there was a bear there <laughs> that's a that's an interesting story to the audience there's conflict and tension and there's good reason for it very popular very popular in russia very popular for the ugas and the boogas in the caveman days um and this film understands the why we tell stories because it's a story of a life and it does that really really well because it it kind of has a three-act structure because he goes through different ages but it sort of doesn't as well there's different conflicts at different ages there are recurring themes and recurring conflicts but really it it just works because you've so invested and I tell you, this week I put off watching this film all week. Uh, I've just got back to work this week and I've got a sort of second job on top of that and driving lessons and all this sort of stuff, so all my evenings are packed such that I'm not really free until about half seven, eight-ish every evening. And seeing that it's a two-hour, 45 film totally put me off all week and then I finally watched it today when I had a moment and I was so happy that I did because I could have watched it for ten hours, honestly. It was a, yeah. uh, one of the other things that I really love is I used to hate it when I was about I don't quite know the age but when I was a teenager maybe 13, 14 when older people even my brother hello Joe only two years older than me would say things like you'll understand when you're older you don't know yet you don't know everything and it felt like I did or it felt like I knew more than a lot of adults. Doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> you know me well. When I first read The God Delusion uh, by Richard Dawkins, that would have been 06, so I'd have been 17, I literally started reading it at about 8pm and just read it through until about 6am, 7am, and then went to school. I didn't sleep. I read that book. And it really, really yeah, it, because I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of assumed God was real when I was younger because I was at a primary school in England and I was white. So we talked about the, he's got the whole world in his hands <laughs> and all You're that. a wasp, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, then at some, and then at some point, I clearly didn't believe God was real because God delusion didn't make me an atheist, but, I, but that, that's what drew me to it. Uh, neither of my parents were very religious. Um, but I'm kind of going off track. But basically what I'm saying is that I read that book and I realised, wow, adults... Are f- can be idiots as well and I had that sort of like 17 year old boy feeling of I know more than the adults do because there are some really irrational adults because you're an encumbered because you're an encumbered by experience yeah an encumbered by experience <laughs> exactly yeah so I yeah I didn't know what I didn't know that Dunning-Kruger effect but also there are idiots yeah. 
who are adults. Adults make idiot decisions. We've got Brexit and Trump, and these things, uh, there might be positives for them, but people make stupid decisions who are adults. So being an adult isn't enough to be wise and intelligent. However, a 40-year-old idiot knows things that a teenager doesn't know. And I hated no, I hated people telling me that when I was a teenager. Um, and now that I'm 30, I understand what that is. So you watch somebody like Samantha, um, the boy's sister in this, um, being a really despicable teenager when she doesn't pick her brother up from school and her mother's trying to tell her off and she's like rolling her eyes like whatever you know like in that moment she thinks that her mum's been hysterical and stupid but everybody watching this can see that she's being irrational and teenagery just want to punch her in the face kind of teenagery you know and awful um do you know something just to that's interesting that yes you do feel that for that character at that moment because you're just like yeah why would you you were supposed to do a thing and you didn't do it that's mad yeah and it's my child it's my vulnerable child that you are not picking up from school but in that instant the character samantha's character also makes a very good point she basically says he's not a baby anymore he doesn't need looking after 24 7 which the mother and often happens the mothers i'm not a mother so i can't speak for mothers but i've you know, but you're going to try, here we go. Sometimes, here we go, <laughs> into the wild. Um, but oftentimes, parents see their children as babies. Yeah. Even yeah. Where, but where, So a sister tends to actually have a more objective view of their actual yes. sibling and be like, well, he's not But you still baby. want you to can... throttle her in that moment, in that scene. Do you know, I've seen my, my sister... My mo- my sister and my mum have the exact same <laughs> about my little brother, more or less. Yeah, and then the time I was like, yeah, he's not a baby anymore. He can, mm. you know, he literally he does look after himself in that moment. He goes to the university, but yeah, it's interesting because it's the mum going, going, you know, you need to be responsible for yourself, and yeah, you know, who do you want to be, Samantha? Which is really and, good. And I one like of the uh, sort of one of the themes of this is sort of disobedience and not believe and being incredulous to to what all the people are telling you, right? You know, from a very early point, really, in the film. And Mason is all about that. He he doesn't see the intrinsic value of school and focusing, and he doesn't see the intrinsic transformative value of college and all those things. And as a teacher, I try to walk that line all the time. I try, I like for me, I would scrap exams and I would get rid of most of the authority of teachers in the sense of just being an authority for the sake of being authority and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, I know that most people, not just teenagers, most people wouldn't work as hard as they could if they didn't have an authority figure who has been punitive kind of standing over them. You know, and it's a, and this film, one of the themes here, these kind of authority and, and grown-ups and actually grown-ups making mistakes and not being that wise. And Mason is a smart kid, but he's also going through the experience that most kind of indie kids do, which is thinking that the older generation are idiots and that um, authority is pointless and, you know, these boring office jobs are pointless. And so on. And really... It's it's about it's about growing up, unsurprisingly. Uh, and, and there's a really strange thing with growing up. There's this weird, there's this weird oxymoronical thing of when you get older, you sort of you appreciate what the teenager's thinking. But if a teenager gave you those kind of views, you you decry them. So Stephen Fry, when he was 16, wrote this letter to him to his adult self, which is fantastic. It's in his first autobiography. And then when he was older, he wrote a letter back. And one of the things he said in his letter when he was 16 is, um, this is who I am. Um, Each day that passes, I will grow away from my true self. Every inch I take towards adulthood is a betrayal. And this film captures that 
in the sense that you as an adult watch him as a teenager and you go wow I kind of understand and agree everything with everything he's saying but but I can also see why he's you sort of you sort of see that he's wrong but then you go wait am I wrong you know, was it was it Dali <laughs> or somebody who said Picasso who said that we're all ch- uh, artists as children the trick is to stay that way um I'm not sure if who the who the quotes attributed but I have yeah yeah and you kind of go, oh, these stupid kids, they don't realise the harshness of life. And then you go, wait, no, is it me who's missing what they're seeing and I've forgotten? Was it going through not having enough money when I was a teenager and in my early 20s and then going, well, I ought to earn some money then and then getting a job and going, well, in order to keep this job, I have to be a certain way. And that just slowly indoctrinating you and effect, infecting you to be a certain way. You know, it's, it's natural to think that you're right and your previous self was wrong because you've learnt more than that. But actually... You know, maybe we do need to be a bit more like teenage. And and he, when he's a teenager, he's at that age where, uh, at the drop of a hat, you will talk about life and death and meaningless, and you'll question everything. And then you just get bored of that, or you grow up. Even of when, that, don't you? even when the, even when the characters are a little boy, he's like, "Oh, magic's not real, is it?" Yeah. And he's it's like this profound moment where he's like. Oh God! It doesn't. Yeah, the world magic's not real. It? And uh, yeah, at no point yeah. does anybody really sit you down. Like, how many people really are sat down and told that the tooth fa- the tooth fairy isn't real? Most people eventually learn it from somebody else in the playground, or they figure it out, and then they're sort of too embarrassed to tell their parents for a while, and it just happens. And then they're a kid who doesn't, who no longer believe, no longer believes in magic. Yeah. But then the dad tries to counter it, doesn't he, by saying, "Well, what you know, if someone told you that a blue ray, a whale, was I love a that. Real thing, I love that example. You know, if you hadn't seen it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it that you could crawl through. Its yeah, it's got a heart, heart the size of a <laughs> and car, it sings, and, and it's got so, sonar. Yeah, that's a really beautiful answer to that question. Yeah, yeah so. which is why his dad is so necessary. So one of the things that I really liked about this film is that I hated his dad at first. He was one of those typical fun dads who can do it for a day a month you know kind of come along um russell brand talks really excellently in various mediums about his dad and how you know he'd often be sat outside in his coat waiting for his dad who would who just would let him down another weekend but then the next weekend he'd turn up and he'd have loads of money and a new car and a new girlfriend and they'd go and do something fun but then he wouldn't see him for a while his peripatetic dad he referred to him as and he's mm-hmm. like that it's kind of and it makes the mum look bad because she's got to do the everyday parenting which means discipline and um i talked about where'd you go bernadette as being one of the novels that was recommended to up-and-coming parents and the other one was bad marie or one of the other ones bad marie and it's this young babysitter who has an affair with the father of the child that she's babysitting. And the child loves her because she's fun. So she basically kidnaps the child and goes away, to flies to France with it, and then discovers that it's quite difficult. Like, she realised she couldn't be fun all the time because the baby was stupid and wanted to do things that weren't, that were, you know, dangerous. So she re- it's a kind of understanding that parenting is difficult and being an adult is difficult. And that's kind of the dad. He's just this fun dad. And I just hated how he shit all over the mother saying, well, she was a piece of work and, you know, it takes two and all that sort of stuff. And I just thought, how can you say that when you've not been there? Like, you might have been there in the very early years, but you've not been there and you've you bought this car. So, you know, he's got this great car that's a babe magnet and it's it's part of his identity. But, you know, he could have got something for the family and he could have stuck it out and he could have been there more for them. And I hated him. And then I loved him. You know, he's one of those guys who's irresponsible but charming and then as the film progresses he 
he grows and he turns into the adult he was supposed to be and has another child you know as the yeah. per, as the man he should have been when he had his first child and I, you know it's uh, yeah. Ethan Hawke just does a fantastic job in this film yeah I think in this film both the parent characters kind of evolve along with the children yeah. because the mother she, I don't know she's very she's quite you know highly strung I think at the beginning and then she gets into these relationships but she's quite a driven person she's she educates herself you know she goes from you don't I don't think it mentions what her job is when she first you know when she's when they're little kids but you know she, I think they just say oh she works and she goes yeah, to school she earns some money. and then yeah. yeah and then but then when he's like um you know when he Mason's like maybe 12 13 14 15 all of a sudden she's a lecturer at a university <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah, she's taken huge leaps, and like you said, you you would watch the hell out of that film where you just kind of more follow her life and her because you kind of see glimpses, don't you, of the parents' mm-hmm. lives as all kids ultimately <laughs> do. They don't, they don't. You know, there's that whole thing of it's weird. You know, like when you like me and you grew up together, obviously, but we didn't we didn't go to the same school. We just grew up on near the mm-hmm. same streets, so we had friends that were our friends were the friends that were local yeah. to us, but you. I couldn't imagine, well, I can imagine it, obviously, but I wouldn't know what it would be like to be in school with you. Do you know that Yeah, that would have been weird. I couldn't it? imagine. Yeah. yeah, and it's like that whole life that your friends or your parents have away from you that into places that you can't go for various reasons. Mm. And that's kind of what sometimes it can be like as a child growing up is, you know, your parents go, I have a job, and they tell you about people they work with. But unless you see them outside of, say, working hours, you have no idea what it's like for them. Reality between the hours of like eight and six when they get back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. think now, your daughter, when she grows up, even though she's going to go into the school system and understand schooling and, you know, but she'll never be like, oh, what does my dad Yeah, she'll do never see me teach. Yeah. Oh, well, she probably, yeah, she probably she won't, but yeah, she, exactly. So she, and, and I mean, the same, but yeah, like you've never seen me teach and I'm not, you know, like that's, that's what I do for a lot of my life. And that's my, that's the thing I'm probably best at or one of the things I'm best at. Yeah. But I've heard you talk. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you've heard me dictate. I, I can imagine what it'd be like. <laughs> yeah. You get a good flavor on this but, podcast. We're in 28, episode 28 but that's now. that's it, isn't it? It's, I... So I, do you know, I, I've come to, I've, I give it a name. I call it the hidden world of your friends. That's good. Family. Yeah, that's good. And in fact, when yeah. with my partner, when I first saw her, she she does roller derby. It was a good few months into our relationship. When I first saw her do roller derby, I was like, wow, I've sort of love her on another level now. I see her doing the thing that she's best at, or one of the things she's best at that I would never have been able to see before. And it's this whole other side of her and it, that hidden world. I think that's a really good way of explaining it. Yeah. Yeah, because they you can you can interact with it to a certain extent, but you'll never you're not in that that sphere. You know, you you kind of like plan not planets uh, like a Venn diagrams <laughs> overlapping exactly, with yeah. the cogs and wheels spinning. And there's turning, an event horizon in there yeah. <laughs> somewhere, and there's a sort yeah. of there's a moment in the film where Samantha's kind of complaining about the the financial situation and then her mum and and, uh, new husband the the, um, army guy they're kind of talking about you know the roof over your head and all that sort of thing and part of me thought wow what if they just sort of made a big budget and said what things were spent on and then keyed the children into that they would be the point is they're protecting them from the realities of of how difficult that is Uh, however the children would understand it better and they would be able to communicate better like we earn x thousand dollars a month 
the house costs this much, that costs that much, that costs that much. You know, being a child doesn't exclude you from simple maths like, right, okay, so the, what we spend on these things is exactly the same as what we get in, so we can't spend any more money than this. You know, even something simple like a, I don't know, a new pair of trainers or whatever can't fit into this budget. It asks so many questions. This is the thing, so this this film is nearly, nearly three, three hours long. In order to have a three-hour film that's successful, you have to have a film that allows the the viewer to think throughout it. And, um, you know, There Will Be Blood did that. For me, it didn't quite buzz you in that same way, didn't quite connect you to in that way, but I found myself with There Will Be Blood not only enjoying the spectacle of the film, but just pondering on the themes all the way through. And this film does such a good job of doing that. You know, to be a three-hour film, you have to make it so the viewer can ponder the themes and I've said it before, a film, a writer should start with theme. They shouldn't start with plot and concept. They shouldn't start with, wouldn't it be cool if? They should start with, what's something I'm interested in exploring? What would be an interesting setup for that? And then in that, what are the conflicts and so on? And I think that's also a big big part of John York's book, Into the Woods, you know, theme being a really important aspect. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think this the theme of this film is what's it like to grow mm. up? Let's have a look. What is what are the important parts? God, as and Richard didn't, didn't recognise so of much childhood. of the, we recognise? I recognise so much of his childhood. You know, this what they came out in twenty fourteen, so he's about eighteen then. So he's born in the mid nineties, really not that long after us. You know, about half a decade after us, and so a lot of the music mm. felt familiar. Maybe at different times in our life. So maybe for us, it would be more kind of Blink One Eight Two when he had something a bit more. Uh, I can't think of the top of my head but you know anyway so the music was slightly different perhaps for the different stages of our life but we recognise things like going out with friends and going under bridges <laughs> you know and doing little things like that and <laughs> yeah. and kind of like drinking cans of lager and breaking planks of wood or you know yeah. the different just doing 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 nothing doing nothing but, yeah like sitting in cars yeah. honestly like I'm a 30 year old who doesn't drive I, I've got uh, I'm, I'm I'm doing lessons, so I'm not that far off driving. But I'd sort of repressed the need or the the want to drive. But now that I'm driving, now that I could physically drive a car, if I needed to, I could drive a car across the street, across the town, and I wouldn't crash. When I watch, <laughs> I, like a, I could drive it across the street. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I very proud there. of that. Um, <laughs> I and now that I, there's a lot of driving in this film, and a lot of like driving to be free, driving out to camping, and driving out to do these things, I watch it and I go, "Wow, I cannot wait to drive!" And immediately, as soon as I can drive and I've got a car, I'll go out camping every day, and we'll do this and we'll do that. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm like a 17 year old. I'm like, "Oh, finally, freedom! Freedom from asking for lifts and getting buses and trains and walking. Just chuck it in the car and go." You know, and and yeah. you know, as far as kind of exploration and adventure goes that's a really good way of expressing it is a car you know just driving and driving and you know going out into the into the wilderness into the woods right okay so what's your favorite well i've got to say the things that i didn't like about this film before uh oh long list um oh no it's one word it's nothing wow there's nothing i didn't i wouldn't change a frame of this film Okay, so if you were to go and ask yourself in a week from now if you, there was anything you didn't like about that this film, do you think that'd still be your response? Well, I have no idea. Right now, yeah. nothing. Right That's now, nothing. great. I'm genuinely genuinely pleased about that. In That's next great. week's episode, if, if anything comes so to mind, I will let you know, but right now I wouldn't change anything. 
Yeah, for me, um, I don't know. There's like I mentioned in the like I mentioned before, maybe there's a couple of scenes you could shave out that just cut down the runtime. Maybe it's two and a half hours rather than. But again, two and three I, I, honestly, I when I was two hours into this, and somebody, if somebody said there's three more hours, I'd have been like, all right. I'll, I'll text Hugh and say we'll have to record later because <laughs> I'm going to watch all five hours of it. I could have watched it for, until he was yeah. 80. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I like it. I like it. I like it. So come on then. Yeah, like I said, what's favorite your scene. Um, favorite, favorite scene? scene? is um, when they're still quite young and the dad, Mason Senior, is asking them how their day was or how their week was. And they're giving the typical kind of young person's answer of, oh, it's fine, normal. And he pulls over and he says, no, we're not going to talk like that. That's not how we talk here. I'm not going to be put into that category. Um, You've got to tell me real things. And he gives them kind of scenarios and uh, examples of what they could say in that scenario. I really like that. And I loved it at the time. And I immediately noted it down. This is my favourite scene so far. And I stuck with it because that totally set up the dynamic of the relationship with their father. And it also meant that here's a here's a way without narration or exposition, exposition of um, having a character they can talk to candidly who will give them knowledge and wisdom. And I just love that so much. You know, he says, uh, yeah, no, that's not how we're going to talk to each other. And it, and it was just brilliant. Really, really, really. Yeah. Maybe second to that was also when the dad is talking to Mason, not long after Sheena's broken up with him, and he's kind of telling him, you know, uh, she was she was a bit too square for you, and actually, uh, yeah, he's kind of telling, he's, he's giving, you know, he's laying down some truths for life, and he's teaching him, and the the nature of that character, the father, is that his son actually listens to him when he's giving him advice, because he's not dictating it as an order. Like his mum's husband, the, the lecturer, he's just giving them this, this hard-earned advice. That that's right. Yeah, that's right. He's giving them this hard-earned advice that his son respects because it's the truth. It's like in Friends when Phoebe starts singing songs to children about the truth, and she gets this huge audience because kids like being told the truth, really. Um, and it kind of yeah. reminded me when I first, when I had my first big breakup, um, and I told my dad there wasn't a flicker of surprise <laughs> nor, the, nor was there from you actually I should say <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah she wasn't right for you <laughs> I was like what why didn't you tell me that five years ago <laughs> um, which is you know you wouldn't you well, shouldn't have told me five years crazy, ago that, yeah. is the, that is the crazy thing with those things though is that you can't tell your friends when a girl isn't right no. because they've made what if they marry her <laughs> that, you will always be the exactly. person who said you should never have been with her yeah I have actually been in the situation where I told a friend what I thought of who I thought was going to be their ex-girlfriend <laughs> and then they then they got stayed together. <laughs> yep, that Crikey. genuinely happened. Not naming any um, names. I mean, but, but, I might yeah, narrow it down. But, was it somebody who went... No, I won't, I won't identify them. <laughs> I'm not going to say. not going to say who it was. Um, but everything's okay. fine. <laughs> it's, not, it's not me, Nothing is to it? worry about. Opinions... Opinions... Oh, gosh, no, it's awkward, isn't it? Uh, no, opinions... Opinions can be changed mm-hmm. on people, yeah. which is a great thing. Um, yeah, no, that is a great. They, they, those are two solid. Were scenes. they up there for um, you? Were they in the top that, two? Yeah, the the um, something that you do get with indie films is when a film is trying to give you naturalistic dialogue, you don't really get no. those. There's not killer scenes. This is the dramatic. Yeah. The, the, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't have to come to a head because it's real life. Real life doesn't do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, where that scene in the car where he's like, oh yeah, Joey's been a bit of an ass, you know, he, he stole some cigarettes, he wanted me to smoke one, but I said no, because I remember how much of a hard time you had <laughs> trying to quit, and, you know, um, I'm so I'm proud of myself for doing that, and you know, that's, so there's a bit of acting there, but I think this, the, the performances in this are the, those subtle moments, aren't they, that, you know, that laugh, stay with you, so, um, but uh, another scene I would like to mention, I think I'm just going to, instead of saying my favourite scene or scenes, just the scenes that stood out, because I think that's the yeah, best I way think, to do I it think for this film. Um, I, I really love this, well, I say like, I like the stuff that they did with Ted when he's at the dinner table, and he, th- you know, and he throws the glass at Mason, and it the, smashes, the, and you're like, in that moment, oh my God, he could have had... Scenes. Yeah, and his mum gets pushed over, or pushed into a wall, and you know, you're like, oh, because at that point when you first watch it, you're not sure what this film's actually about. You're like, oh, is this film about this family dealing with the mum's poor partners and their alcoholism and their their sort of tyranny and abuse towards the children that aren't their children? And you really have a sympathy for his own children in that situation when... Um, <laughs> when they have to abandon them. When Olivia yeah. takes... And then they're, yeah. then they're not and you don't see them the again. rest of the film. Like, what happened to those poor kids? Yeah, and obviously you can see, and this guy, like Ted, he's such a strange character because he's clearly an intelligent person, he's well-to-do, but he's just got this demon inside him that's drink. And it makes him very oppressive, and then, you know, you get, yeah, that bit where he's like, is it okay with you? And he's like bullying them, and it's it's awful, but it's really well Yeah, it's awful, it's realistic. Luckily, I've never had to go through that, but obviously we've all seen people who get aggressive when they're drunk, and... I believed it, and it was such a shame, because, yeah, he was the intellectual one, and then her new boyfriend, who's clean-cut, and he's an army guy, and then cut, cut forward, and he's smashing some beers, and he's and he's got five on the floor. So, my other favourite scene in this film uh, was the, the trips that they take with the dad. Mm, yeah. So, they go... So, there's I think there's three or four trips that they have with the father in this. Um, so, they have the the first one, where he goes, they go bowling, and... Um, you know, they have the French fries and that leads, obviously, to the argument between the mum and the and dad. And I think it's then in that trip that the they... Trip. Is that in the first... I think, are they on the way to that in the car where he says, no, you've got to talk to me, really? Like, you've got to open up? Uh, no, I don't think that's... So they go they go bowling, they go to watch a baseball game, they go on a camping trip. I can't remember which order. I think it's. I think they go bowling, I think they then go camping, then they go to the baseball I th- game. I think it's baseball and then, camping, actually. Is it baseball yeah. camping? Is it that way yeah. around? Yeah, you could be right. And then, and then they go, um, and then Mason and Mason Senior take a trip, don't they? Together, they go camping together, mm. just the two of them. And then I think there's the final trip with his dad and his new what? What his dad's new wife and their, their <laughs> you know. Uh, a side note on that. They, side they note go on to that. the grandparents. You know, there's a they? proper Trump supporting Bible bashing, gun toting Southerners, but it does it in a way that you understand that that way of life yeah you know because we don't we don't see that enough everything's so polemic it's so you're either a gun-toting bible-bashing conservative or you're a snowflake liberal and really anybody on the vague left doesn't want to be judged by the most ridiculous 
ness of the, the you know the people who are offended by anything nobody wants to be judged by that and really probably the people on the right don't really want to be judged by the most ridiculous redneck sort of side of things and it was a crack, crack podcast somebody who's from uh, Jason Sargent who's from that kind of neck of the woods and he, and he says look this is this is what people don't understand about Trump voters and he, he laid it out really well and it was kind of like they just want to feel uh, this sense of community and this sense of um, safety and all these things and they go there and you kind of go I don't agree with them politically and all that sort of thing, but I get it. Like, this is a nice community. Their guns are there because they like shooting guns and they like hunting and so on. They don't care about school shootings. It's not part of their world, really. It was just... Anyway, it's just a complete digression, but uh, it was just a, a very rare, sympathetic view of that that side of well, America, which is a huge side of America. I mean... So, yeah, from my point of view, when I was saying earlier about it, being, you know, it's quite relatable. That's maybe the only bit of the film when, you know... Cultural um, divide. When the, <laughs> yeah, when, well, when he, the shoot, he's like, sh- sh- you know, he's doing the shotgun mm. and they're doing the pistol shooting. and um, But then I think, do you know what? If these things were legal in our country, you'd at least, ha- I think I would have a go. Yeah, and there would be <laughs> some know. people who'd give a 15-year-old <laughs> a 12-gauge for his birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but the other scene that I really liked that I wanted to get into is I like the scene when he goes to visit his sister in um, when she's at oh, university yeah. and he goes with his girlfriend and that whole romance there. And I think they don't say it, but I think that's where he, the character loses his virginity. I, I assumed he'd lost it to it, Sheena. Yeah, the, well, that is Sheena, isn't it? Oh, sorry, I was I was confusing with the, when he goes to college. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I think you're right yeah, with Sheena. Yeah, I didn't believe yeah. him that he'd, he'd lost his video. Some girls in Houston. But, you know, he, he played it off well. He was cool enough when he was trying to say, oh, a few girls. They don't live, <laughs> yeah, they go yeah, to another school. That's good. <laughs> anyway, let's nice move on. Well. So what was your favourite line of the film? This was really, there are, there are a few really funny lines and tends to be the film, the lines that stand out that tend to be, my favourite lines tend to be the funny ones. Um, so here's a few. In fact, I'll tell you what, before I go to the funny ones, this is one that I thought was very moving and poignant. Kind of legitimately poignant, poignant but also um, teenage poignant as well, but actually actually has some wisdom to it and that was when he uh, when Mason's talking to Sheena and um, he says when he's talking about she's saying you know why do you care what other people think and he says fuck anyone else I care what I think of me what I think of me and I sort of thought that encapsulates that character really well American Beauty right the film American Beauty the the boy in that who takes the, the who films everything when I watched that it's just wind and air. <laughs> yeah. When I watched that, I thought he was really deep and cool and interesting. When I watched it again in like a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, he's supposed to be a pretentious teenager who's angsty and artsy. It was really interesting that I could actually watch it twice and view that character meaning two different things. And that line, I think, I could, I could have watched that as a teenager and I could watch it now and both times think it was quite poignant. For him to say, fuck anyone else, I care what I think of me. Basically, he's saying to sell out isn't... The problem isn't that you're selling out to your public, your audience, whatever. It's that you've got to live with that. Um, so that was really interesting. But <laughs> The two that I found the most funny were both at their high school graduation. <laughs> when they're celebrating the graduation, they've got their caps on and everybody claps. And then the guy goes, 
get a job. <laughs> I didn't hear, I didn't hear that bit. I've seen this film twice now. I don't yeah, know. you see what's going. It's um, it's the Mason Senior's brother, and then also Mason Senior's brother later in that. Oh yeah, of course. Same yeah. party <laughs> when he's talking about college. He says you're going to be tapping some masterful gap. <laughs> and I, I just I don't know. Like it was been a few years since I really laughed at a good kind of sex funny banterish gash joke, but just the wording of that. Yeah. You'll be you're yeah. going to be tapping that- some masterful gap. As Peter Kay puts it, everyone has an uncle. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> precisely it. Yeah, he's an uncle nobed. Well, yeah. Who, who, who gives away the fact wasted, that... That character's wasted, isn't he? It was their... Been in yeah, more, it was their... What was it? It was their... Um, their, their, their get, what was it? I can't remember the word. Um, the graduation. No, sorry. When it, he, he gives away the fact that the reason why <laughs> Mason's mother got pregnant was it was their... their oh, because he didn't use protection. During their... Um, Oh, their breakdown bang, or whatever. There, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You break up. Yeah, during breakup break up sex. sex. Break up where sex. Prote- yeah. yeah, yeah. The line is wear protection during breakup break sex because yeah. you know your dad knows what can happen there, <laughs> and then he just points Absolutely. at him. <laughs> yeah. So th- those yeah, are those are the key lines that stuck out for me. What uh, what stuck out for you? Brilliant. Um, I really like the line that. Uh, Patricia Arquette's character says, and you mentioned earlier, um, you know, she's like, what's what's next mm. for me, my fucking funeral? Mm, that's good. Because it is, it, it's heartbreaking, that scene, actually. I felt the same when I turned 30. he has no response I was like, oh God, next step is death, isn't it? <laughs> but, you know, hopefully my daughter's milestones will be my own milestones. Why else would you have yeah. kids? And then if she has... Yeah, and then your grandkids. And then possibly grandkids, yeah. And then it's your and funeral. Then, yeah. Definitely dead. Yeah. But you're not going to be there for that. So who cares? Who cares? Yeah, they can do whatever they want with me. Yeah, yeah, they can. They can um, get me embalmed and put me in a chair wearing my favourite clothes with a cigarette in my mouth and sunglasses so, on, like that guy in Argentina or Brazil. Do a, a little few years work, ago, weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, do a little weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> oh, I would love to do a weekend at Bernie's with my cult. Although God, you wouldn't be there to, to know great. about it, so. Yeah, but if I know that it was going to happen, I'm if you get happy. seriously ill, I'll tell you I'm going to do that, and then I might or might not do it. I don't care. There we go. <laughs> but so, I'd like to you know, the, the, yeah. funnily enough, the, the, the favorite line that you have, what I said about American Beauty, how you can watch that as a teenager, watch that as an adult, and see it differently. I think this film almost certainly you could watch this any age and view it really differently. One of, one of my students possibly could be listening to this. Hello, Lewis. Possibly. Uh, hello, Lewis. Um, hello, Lewis. Uh, he really loves this film. Uh, you better be good, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Lewis. Is it, is... You better not be giving Sam any shit in lessons. Uh, if Mr. I find Blakely, out that's Mr. Shit. Blakely to you, Hugh and Lewis. Yeah. This bald baby not <laughs> Jeff. You're giving him shit, Lewis. <laughs> Don't create new nicknames for me. Um, so, he really likes this, but there might be things that he likes about this that I like differently. Maybe he relates more to the Mason character than I do, or doesn't, or whatever. Whereas, maybe if I watch this when my daughter's gone to university or something or when she's getting married or something maybe I won't really relate much at all to Mason and all I'll relate to is Mason's mum and dad you know and I'm somewhere in the middle right now I suppose if you're I suppose if you're um, you know if you're like your student's age now like obviously that character's a bit older than what he would be now but he might have a a sister or a brother who's that age Mm. so for them it's like oh well that's what it was like for you when you were like five six years seven years old when i then i came along and 
you know, you saw the world differently. Yeah, I don't know. But, it, but the great thing say? about this film is it's a progression over time, and it's it's a life, and and that therefore mm. there are things to be enjoyed at all times. And I, I'd be fascinated to know what I would have thought of this film when I was seventeen. I, I probably would have liked it, but there must be things that I didn't even see, and there are probably things I don't even see now, or that I just see differently, or I see more ironically, or something like that. Uh, what a what a blood what a film this is. Yeah, well that's great stuff. So, <laughs> what we're going to do, we're going to have a break. After the break, we're going to do the critics review. We're going to find out what Sam scored the film out of 10. And we're going to do a quick I'm quiz. Forward to and it. then I'm so talk about what we're doing. And yeah, and then we'll talk about what we're going to be doing next week. Look forward to so, it. join us after the break for the critics Fantastic. review. Fantastic, see you in a bit. Hello and welcome back to Please Watch This. So, just before we get Sam's uh, recommendation out of 10, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the critics thought of this. So this week I've got two critics. Uh, We've got uh, Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian and we've got Robbie Collin in The Telegraph. So we'll start with uh, Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian. He said Richard Linklater has taken the boy and given us the man. In so doing, he created a film that I love more than I can say, and there is hardly a better or nobler thing than a, f- a film can do than inspire love. And that was five stars he gave oh, it. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And then Robbie Collins says in the gar- in the Telegraph, sorry, as I mentioned, uh, Boyhood, the new film from Richard Linklater, took twelve years to make. It may well take another twelve years to appreciate. <laughs> I can't think of anything nicer to say. And again, he also gave it five wow. stars. Um, so guess what this film has a, a unique distinction of having Ooh. when it comes to critical response. We're talking metacritical. I'm going to say probably 100% yep. on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Metacritic? Yeah, it's got 100% wow. Metacritic score. It's only got 7.9 on on uh, on IMDb. Which Interesting. Quite That's such a big at. jump, isn't it? Yeah, I would have... Th- I mean, for me, it's... It's higher than What would that. you give out of 10? It's, which, I'd give it 10 out of 10, to oh. be honest. Yeah, I can't think of... I don't know how you can make this film any better. You, you, there's narrative choices you can choose to focus on, but that's it. And any good film makes you want more to have mm. more. A bad film, you want more. <laughs> more I watched Justice League the other you day. Know. I could have given up after 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got 97% on the tomato wow. meter, and it's got 80% with its audience score. So the audience give it a solid 8 out of 10, yeah. I would say. Um, and the critics absolutely went ballistic <laughs> yeah, for it. Apparently so. Yeah. Yeah. Um so let's think of a rating for oh, you. You really Sam should have thought this before. Boyhood. Yes, I should have. Unprof- unprofessional <laughs> is how I'd deem that. Uh a bit like what you're doing now, whilst I was trying to leave a gap for editing purposes, <laughs> but you're carrying on talking. Um how many Game Boy advances out of ten would you give this film? Um I'm gonna make please watch this history right now. And okay. give it a solid, a very respectable 10 out of fucking 10 for this film. A 10 a out of 10. 10. That's it, children. You've fucking heard it. Episode here. 28, we're there. <laughs> I think you give 9 out of 10 to what we do in the shadows. I think this is the first time we've ever given a 10 to a recommendation. Again, I, yeah. I have to echo those critics. I have to echo you. 
there's nothing I would change about this film. And I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, for a writer to read this film, uh, to read the script of this film, would they have seen this as a 10 out of 10? Because there's nothing extraordinary. There's a few really good bits of dialogue, but this is it. Like, stories are to tell people about other people. This is why writing high concept sci-fi with big smashing zombies and monsters and whatever is difficult because actually immediately have a disconnect and this is just watching a really interesting life unfold with all the boring bits cut out I think it's maybe one of the reasons why people like say soap operas so much because mm, yes, it's yeah. serialised daily life it's why um, The Wire is so damn good because it's not our life at all but it is real life a it's life. a man who yeah. David Simon, who spent a year working with the homicide department, you know, to write a book, he really got to know these things. Hired real cops and real drug dealers um, as part of his cast. That's, I'm guessing, not simultaneously. <laughs> Otherwise, one would be arresting You'd be the surprised. other. Oh, we've had to shut down production You'd be again. Surprised. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Steve's arrested LJ over there for peddling heroin. Yeah. God, it's the third time you this month. Surprised. You know, how much this has cost me. <laughs> I don't know. I've not seen the wire. That's so. my please watch this um, rec- TV recommendation. But yeah, no, honestly, it's ten out of ten. Ten out of ten because it's just, just brilliant and a long film that didn't feel long. It felt too short. Yeah, I think it's a film that adheres to the please watch this trope of it shows us how to watch the film in the first ten yes. minutes. Yeah, I think so. Or in the first few of the first part of the film and the introduction is you go right I understand the tone I understand what you're doing yeah. here let's let's look at what we're doing and it, and it sticks to that drink it in right okay you don't so, seem very happy tell me tell we... me you're happy Does it out, you recommended a film to me give it 10 oh, out of yeah. 10 this is monumental yeah, I mean I mean but you're sharing an opinion I already had so I'm just like <sighs> I'm just like, yes, I am right. I knew this was <laughs> Vindication for my um, ego. <laughs> y- yeah. Yes. Oh, well, aren't we all? Um, uh, yeah. And it's, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear you mm. say it. I'm delighted because I wasn't 100%, I wasn't 100% sure if you were going to give it. I thought once, I thought when you were like, oh, what, you know, when you were like, I could watch this for 10 hours, I was like, oh, this is at least going to be an Yeah, hour. what we've done really so. well in the last few episodes is not giving anything away about our opinion in the review. I couldn't help myself this time. While you were reviewing it and saying why you yeah. loved it, I, I just dropped in little things that made it quite clear I love it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, this is what's so great about yeah. this podcast is sharing in sharing uh, and caring. films that I love and you now love, love as well. Right. So... On that, would you like a six, six, that's Ooh. right, listeners, Compromise. Quiz. Oh, please watch this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, actually, no. Oh, actually, hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, ah! seven. Transformation, conversion. Get in. Yeah. He's on One my side. One of them is a little easy. One's very easy, mm. so it's like a, it's like a six. <laughs> it's a, a gimme. Because if you don't get this... If you don't get that one right, I'll be very Give me them, give me them. Right. Right. So, are you ready? Yes. Quiet in the back. Question one. What song plays at the start of the film? Oh, um, Yellow by Coldplay. Correct. Do you know what? I'd forgotten completely that that film starts this film. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, you're going to hit it because it's got Coldplay at the start. People vote for that. <laughs> I think I'm a Nazi. <laughs> like Coldplay. I actually quite like Coldplay. I just like Superhands and yeah. Peep Show more. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I like that, that, that album. Is it, genuinely it was... really good. I don't like it when they started writing songs because they knew they were going to play them, play them to stadiums and arenas. Um, that's a really good album, Parachutes. Oh wait, uh, Russia Blood, Parachutes. Yeah. Anyway, the nineteen ninety nine one. No, Parachutes. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, it's Parachutes. Yeah, yeah. It was before they. It's before you got to know who Chris yeah. Martin was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you, you know, Mark Kermode in his review on Radio Five Live about this film said, "Oh, well, it's got Coldplay in it, but you it transports you back to a time before you were you were quite innocent." <laughs> Like the character, and you're innocent. <laughs> these things that become have become annoying over time. Well, this is it. Like it felt like the music choices were made at the time because if you'd made this film re- retrospectively, and it was different actors, and you put a, a song like uh, like a band like Coldplay, or you put songs from the from that time, it would have felt on the nose. And I don't, I don't know if it was the choices they made or just knowing that it was of the time that excused it from that. I don't know. Genuinely, don't know if it was if it could have been made more authentically, retrospectively. I don't know. I think I personally, I, d- I don't know how you've cut this film, and I don't know how they edited it. That's a big question um, I've got for you. Did he write this film in two thousand one, or did he write the so, first bit and then write a bit every year? I think, from my understanding, is there's not a lot on the internet to go by how they f- properly made it, but my understanding is. Um, they made a bit every year. It makes more sense because, then, you know, a major part of the film involves her marrying somebody who served in Iraq. And this started in 2001 mm-hmm. when that's not when the war in Iraq started. <laughs> so Yeah, I think the only thing they really knew is that he was going to go to college. <laughs> I think that was like, because it, and uh, Richard Linklater said it was quite an autobiographical right. film because um, he grew up in Texas with him and his sister and his mum and that sort of stuff so there is that element to it but yeah the only real outline they had was that he would go to university eventually I keep calling it college jeez it's infectious isn't it <laughs> really annoys me though right here question, question two. two question two what baseball team did they go in the sea oh they went to see the thing Astros the Astros they did indeed against well the done. Brewers well remembered see remembered more than me there I didn't know who they fresh were take Fresh take. <laughs> Hang on, let me get a can of fresh, <laughs> fresh take. Um, rightio. Question three. What car does Mason's father drive? A Mustang. No. Yes. No. No. Hang on. Oh. Ted drives a Mustang. Oh. Um, is it another Mustang? Ted does. No, Ted does drive a Mustang. Oh, what, does, what does Mason's father drive? That is a drive? really good question. Is, well, I don't know is the answer, but I think Corvette or Chrysler, it's that sort of type. No, no. okay. Would yes, please. Answer? So my understanding is it's a Shelby. Shelby, GTO. yeah, he talks about people pay hundred grand for a Shelby Cobras. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a whole, yeah, there's, there's a whole, whole scene he's talking yeah. about. Yeah, because Mason's genuinely upset. <laughs> proper dad proper sulky. His, grand, his dad didn't give him a 22 grand car for his 16th birthday. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird because in that scene, like great, great thing about this film again is you see it from both characters' point of view. Yes, exactly. You see it from the birth, and you can see it differently if you age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yes. you'd be like the dad's, like, yeah, it's my car. Yeah. Oh, of course I'd <laughs> say that to you when you were eight years old. Who wouldn't say that to a child <laughs> or six years old? And the, but the kids, like, kids remember these things. They're like, oh, do you remember that? What yeah. you said back in two thousand and seven? And as an adult, you're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but kid, there's no way I said that. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay, so what is Monica Mason's mum teaching? Psychology. Thank God for that. Oh, by the way, do we have psychology? Can you do we have psychology corner? Is there any bad psychology in this film where there's the little bits of exposition with it when uh, she goes to the university or when she's talking about it? Anything you picked up on? No, it, it, I um, annoyed Nick by trying to guess what they're talking about. So Ted talks about unconditioned stimulus and I was like, boom, Pavlov, classical conditioning. And then she's talking about Harlow and she's talking about attachment and an ear and I went, right, it's John Bowlby. And then it cuts to the blackboard and it said John Bowlby and I went, yes! And um, yeah, she didn't react. She she wasn't impressed. My question um, was that is, it's, uh, why are they teaching that in university? Don't I learned that at A-level. <laughs> yeah, it's very yeah, A-level. But then again, you don't, like, um, same here really. If you if you, you could easily do a psychology degree without doing the A-level, so they would still teach those things. What, I, what One thing that is not a, not a problem with this film at all, but generally, um, is classrooms in film. The, the teacher will be introducing a concept, they'll explain it in really vague terms, they'll make a joke, everyone laughs, and they go, oh, class is <laughs> yeah, That go, never Fuck happens. Fuck me, there was no plenary there, was there? <laughs> there was no time for them to... Like, he just introduced the idea of an unconditioned stimulus at the end of a lecture, presumably, about classical conditioning. That is the first thing you do, unconditioned stimulus. Like, they would not leave knowing anything. He taught that in the last minute and a half. So it's not a problem with the film, it's a problem with the way that classrooms have to fit into cinematic <laughs> norms because they just yeah I, it's a little bugbear I've got but not, not no really. no it's yeah, yeah. they, did, all, they all, didn't learn yeah. anything in that we lecture. all know it because it is one of those we all yeah, understand because you never because it's for the sake of the narrative of the film rather than for the sake yeah. of the imaginary characters in that classroom so you don't have to watch an hour long lecture for the <laughs> yeah. sake of one joke yeah. at the end that's plot I have seen films where they start <laughs> off with that bit of explaining what they're about to yeah. learn, and then it will cut to the end of the lecture, or the end of the class, or the end of the. But sometimes seminar. it will be like a three-minute class, like it will literally show you the start and the begin- and the end, without a cut. Yeah. <laughs> like, or it seems that way. Anyway, um, this is not a criticism. This is not a criticism of the film at all. It's a weird trope. Yeah, and sometimes when I try to write a scene, I'll sometimes try and put it in a classroom, and I think I'm going to end up writing a film class here rather than a a human proper class which is what I should be able to offer to a right. script okay moving <laughs> on a, a genuine qu- anyway question three or whatever we're on question so four question four what exams does Mason Senior take oh oh um, the actuarian um, yes I'll give it to you because you know you're very generous when it comes to answering yeah actuarial exams yeah Actuarial. Yeah. So, yeah, you're very generous given that extra letter that's two letters. It, I am. I appreciate know, that. I'm a kind, I'm a kind, I'm a kind, kind uh, quiz master, Sam. Kind of dickhead, yeah. No, I <laughs> yeah, I am a kind of dickhead, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you will answer the question that's correctly, right. or not at all. <laughs> or you will fail. Um, what does Mason collect? Spearheads. He does indeed. He collects the arrowheads, oh, doesn't yes. he? And beer, arrowheads, beer, beer, um, uh, not bear claws, Snake, uh, the, beaver claws. Yes. Yeah, beer claws. Snake vers- vertebrae. Hmm. Is it beaver claws? It's, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I've just I got arrowheads down here because that's, that's the main thing in this collection <laughs> and some snake vertebrae. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it is beaver claw. But yeah. there you go. Okay, and then final question. So, in fact, this isn't a question, so I'm breaking my own rules here, but I thought I'd give you an extra, oh an extra question. Um, 
Because usually my rules are everything has to be in the film is it, about the questions. Is it a commandment? Thou shalt... What, what yeah. is this? What is yeah, this I've got something to tell question. you. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I coveted my neighbour's oxen. <laughs> I'm still feeling guilty about it. Not going to lie. I accept you in whatever sort of lifestyle choice you Thank make. Thank you, Q. It means a lot to me. <laughs> yeah. now, now we just need to get people to sign that petition. So, who won an Oscar for this film? Oh. oh, interesting question. I mean, <laughs> I must. I mean, it must be Richard Linklater. Let me think further. <laughs> Let so, me think further. That makes you sound like you. Let me open my phone and go on Google. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you. Um, Ethan Hawke's really good in it, but I don't remember getting an Oscar. Patricia Arquette's really good in it. I don't remember. I'm, I'm going to have to say Richard Linklater. Oh, you should have gone with your previous. Uh, previous statement there so you were close but no cigar it was Patricia Arquette she won best supporting actress for this wow yeah. that's I mean well deserved but that is a surprise yep so you did well on the quiz um, you know that was boyhood uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it I'm glad uh, what a film yeah. if you haven't watched it please watch this it's on Netflix it is on Netflix yep. have you got three hours of course you've got three hours did you hours. watch The Irishman well, if you're gonna, if you haven't watched that, instead of watching that, watch, watch this instead. instead. Yeah. Yes. Well, Sam, what are we gonna watch next week? What am I? What treats are we in for next week? <sighs> next week. Next week we're gonna watch quite a film. Um, we're gonna we're gonna break the record. We're gonna watch the third film by director Denis Villeneuve. That's, by, sorry, uh, by, by Denis who? I had some garlic Justin dinner, Trudeau. So I'm <laughs> pretty French. Only French um, person I know. What, <laughs> what do you know about Sakari? Um So obviously doing quite a bit of research on Denis Villeneuve for uh, the two films that we've covered on this film, on Arrival and um, Blade Runner 2049. I'm, obviously I'm familiar with the director. I know that he made the film. I know... Obviously. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, I was getting to my point. Jesus. Give, give a man a chance to get to his point, Sam. Um, <sighs> Have a run up. <laughs> no, no, that's it. Yeah, Trot, I know who's shouting at the gates. Yeah, it's Here we got go. Emily right, Blunt go in. It's got Javier Bardem. It's about drug dealers on the Mexican border. And I think about a character who goes into uh, work in this from the FBI or the CIA. She's drafted into it and deals with the reality of what uh, the cartel drug wars like and that part of the world, yeah. Why don't you say nothing? I don't know anything about it. Well, I know more than some films. That's right. That's the... No, when no, you go, oh, what no, do you no, know about right. Midsommar? Fucking Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah. Couldn't even name the actors so... in that film, so at least I know two of the actors in this film. <laughs> and the director. You still can't. I just did. You're still forgetting her name. What, Florence no, I mean, I mean, in Midsummer. Tell, tell me an act. Oh, you did, you did. Sorry, you did, yeah. You, I do apologise. Um, yeah, no, you're right, Sicario. It's good, though. So we're going to watch Sicario next week. I'll do some research on that. Good. That would be helpful. Hugh, if they want to get in touch with us online, how could they do it? Well, Sam, as you know, what the listeners need to do if they want to get in touch with us electronically through email is they need yeah. to... I, I just sat, sat back away from the mic for a minute, yeah. so... Uh, you enjoy the mic. I mean, do you want me to go closer? <laughs> so what you need to do is you need to 
basically start a project that's going to last 12 years and each year <laughs> for a you know each year for a few minutes write a line of the email that you're going to write to us and then 12 years from now you've got your email about this week's film or any other film that you want to talk to us about uh, and please watch this and our back catalog but can you imagine if 12 years from now we get we've got so much correspondence finally episode 1045 and uh, we get our first bit of correspondence. <laughs> that would be It'll awesome. Happen. So yeah, I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. I mean, would we still? I mean, what what films would we be recommending to each other at that point? We'd just literally be doing Suicide Squad reboot number six. <laughs> We'd just be doing <laughs> the sixth attempt at getting that We'd right. We'd just be doing new films every week. Oh, we went to see this film this week. Yeah, neither of it. We recommended it to each other. Well, we've done all the films. Yeah. Uh, here's the newest yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, if you want to do that or failing that, if you don't have, you know, if you don't have that kind of like discipline in your life to commit to something, you can <laughs> email us at pleasewatchthis.pod gmail.com. Sam, if they want to get in touch with us on social media, if they're, if they're too cool for email, you know, if they sit there going, huh, why, why would I sit and write an email that's so, you know, 20th century, how can they get in touch with us? Yeah. They could get with us on the Twitter. Well, get in touch with us on the Twitter anyway. At Please Watch Pod. You can find us on Reddit. We have a subreddit. Oh, yes, uh, you have an announcement about that, don't you? Please watch this. Yeah. Reddit page. We've done, we've done almost nothing with it, but uh, I'm on Reddit more than I'm on Twitter just in my recreational time, so why not? And we've got a Facebook page, please watch this, so look out for us on all the socials apart from Instagram, because what is the point of having a podcast on Instagram? It's stupid. I mean, so I could put the logo it. with different filters on if you like. By all means. Yeah. By all How many means, filters are there on Instagram? I don't use it. I'm, I, I, I'm Four, never I bothered. Who, I just I, don't get it. You've us. got Facebook. It's not for You've us. Got we're not we're not we're not photogenic enough. It's not. For us. I might not be photogenic. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I'll speak for myself. I'll speak for myself. There, I'm not photogenic. But I still enough. like to take photos. I just don't see the point. I've just never got the point of Instagram. Nah, I don't think it's our audience. But anyway, uh, we appreciate you listening in, folks, and we look forward to speaking at you next week. Hugh, have you got any final remarks? Um, be nice to polar bears. Yes, I'm on that. I'm doing everything I can every week, especially if you're in Russia. Exactly, exactly. There's no better people for being nice. I mean, obviously, to polar if the polar bear's bears. not nice to you, you have to, you know, have strong words with it. But generally, you know, like a strongly worded email. So please watch this uh, gmail dot pod at gmail yeah. If you're a polar bear, that'd be even fire. better. <laughs> a unique experience. Yep. Well, Sam, it's been well, a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, have a wonderful week, Take care. and we love you all. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.